My name is Jasmine Nicole, and I'm back for another episode of Seasoned Crime. This is a true crime podcast where every week you will hear a story about a minority. The purpose of this podcast is to highlight stories that get little to no attention from the media. There are so many true crime platforms out right now and so many stories that are getting attention, but for every story that's told, there's hundreds just like it that aren't told. The ones that are getting pushed to the back are normally involving what mainstream media sees as minorities, so their stories never make the front page news. Every true crime story has some aspect of tragedy, and that will forever be, but we're not here to talk about those cases. There's so many other platforms that are going to speak on those stories, so we're just going to go ahead and let them have it. So if you're still here... Scoot up to the table and get comfortable because today's seasoned meal is going to highlight the story of Frederick Williams. Frederick Williams lived in Memphis, Tennessee with his wife, Stacy Williams. Fred and Stacy lived what looked to be a normal middle-class life in suburban Tennessee. Fred worked as a firefighter for the city of Memphis, and Stacy was a mail carrier for the United States Postal Service. Fred had been a firefighter for the city for about six years. The two lived about a mile away from the firehouse that Fred worked at, and on top of all of that, they were newlyweds. They had just gotten married about three weeks ago. On the outside looking in, things couldn't get much better. On the inside, however, things were far from great. The date was March 8, 2000. Fred, who was off duty at the time, made a call to 911 right before 1 p.m. reporting a fire at his home. Just a few moments after Fred made his call, a neighbor who lived in the area called 911 as well. That neighbor wasn't calling about the fire at Fred's home. Instead, they said they heard what sounded like gunshots. The 911 dispatcher sent out the fire department as well as the police department. The first to arrive to the scene was police deputy Rupert Pete, who was driving his police vehicle. Deputy Pete was a retired Army major who was not supposed to be there. He was actually on his way to another call when he was flagged down by someone in the street who was reporting a fire and an armed man up the road. As he was driving up, the deputy was shot before he could even put his car in park. Once shot, his vehicle veered off the road and crashed into a fence. The firefighters in Engine 55 came about a minute after Deputy Pete was shot. They weren't coming from the same firehouse that Fred worked at, but seeing that they were so close, it was pretty positive that Fred at some time had worked with these men. When the fire truck pulled up to the house, Fred opened the garage and began firing off shots. Per witness account, Fred ran out of the garage yelling, get away, get away, while he was shooting his gun. Fred's gunfire killed all three of those first responders and a wounded lady that was just walking by, Deborah Gatewood. The firefighters from Engine 55 that were killed were Lieutenant Javier Lerma and Private William Blakemore. Lieutenant Lerma was following in his father's footsteps by being a firefighter. His father had passed in the line of duty while working for the Memphis Fire Department, and sadly, Lieutenant Lerma had now done the same. Private Blakemore wasn't even supposed to be working that day. He was just covering for a sick co-worker. Fred was taken down with a shot to the torso from other police that had arrived at the scene. 
He was taken to the hospital with minor wounds. In this entirety, this ambush lasted for about an hour. When cops were able to detain Fred, as well as the fire, they found Fred's wife, Stacy, dead. Based on the observation, it was determined that Stacy had been shot four times. She had arrived home from work, and she was met by Fred and his 12-gauge shotgun in the kitchen of their own home. The body of Stacy was identified by her ex-husband, Herman Hansen, who was also the father of her two children. Those children were not at the home at this time. The fire actually started in the back room of the house. Outside of the obvious why, the other question that everyone was asking was about the fire. I mean, did Fred start this fire to cover up the fact that he had killed his wife? Or did he start this fire to lure the first responders here? The days following this incident were chaotic to say the least. A neighbor who lived near the Williams home was quoted as saying, this is the kind of thing that happens on crime shows, not in your own backyard. Not only was the neighborhood in disarray, the fire department in Memphis was shattered. The firehouse of the slain officers, as well as the firehouse of Fred Williams, couldn't believe what was going on. Come to find out, Fred had just returned to work from a leave of absence a few days prior to the incident. The exact reason for the leave of absence was never released, but it's also known to be related to emotional issues. Fred did admit to everything that was done. How does something like this happen to someone who seems to be living such a good life? That was the argument that immediately rose after this incident, asking if Fred was insane or was he fully aware of what he was doing. Deputy Director of the Fire Department, J.C. Fleming, said that he strongly believes that Fred was fully aware of what he was doing at the time. He was fully aware of the leave of absence and all the details about it, but he said there was no way that any of that would have indicated the insanity, especially to the extent of what had happened. Fred's godfather, who is also his neighbor, Freeman Nelson, said that looking back at some things that had happened a few months earlier, maybe Fred was insane. Freeman said that a few months prior to this, around Thanksgiving time, Fred ingested rat poison. And now that he thinks about it, that could have possibly been a suicide attempt, but he doesn't know for sure. Stacy's mother, Gwen, did admit that Fred suffered from emotional problems, and he was on medication for depression. Stacy had filed a domestic abuse complaint against Fred prior to them getting married. The case went to trial a whole six years later. During the time prior to the trial, Fred was held in a state hospital. In April of 2006, the trial started with the defense saying that Fred had no control over his actions on the day of the shooting. They spoke to Fred's known issues prior to the day of the shooting and said that he was going through some sort of psychotic episode at the time and he was not aware fully of his actions. As expected, the prosecution, on the other hand, said the exact opposite. They played the 911 calls in court to give a visual of what exactly was going on. On the call, a dispatcher asked for a description of the suspect, and the caller says, quote, the one with the big 12 gauge in his hand, and he's shooting anybody who comes around the house. He's shooting. He just shot a deputy, end quote. The final witness testified that they observed Fred clearly aiming the gun prior to him firing it. 
The decision was made by Judge Arthur Bennett. Judge Bennett referred to this as his hardest decision that he's made on the bench in his 30-year time. Fred Williams was found not guilty by reason of insanity and required to be returned to his secure state mental hospital. Fred was diagnosed as depressed, psychotic, and delusional. There are no real winners at all in this case. The defense team themselves said that Fred will likely never be a free man. Attorney Gerald Scon was quoted as saying, if he doesn't improve, odds are that he'll stay in a mental hospital for the rest of his life. Not everyone agreed with the ruling. The family and friends of the first responders strongly believed that Fred knew exactly what he was doing, and the idea that there is even a small possibility that he can get out one day, that is their biggest issue. As of today, Fred is still being held at that state-run mental hospital in Tennessee. This is the story of Fred Williams, and as I mentioned earlier in this story, there were no real winners in this case. I don't know for sure, none of us to be honest, the judge just had to go off of what was given, but none of us truly have known what was in Fred's head on that day and for that time. It is very possible that Fred knew exactly what he was doing, and this was just some crazy act of where he just snapped. But I also know that it is possible that he could have been completely out of his mind due to his mental health. I can't speak for what was going on through Fred's head at the time, but what I can speak to is someone who does suffer from high-functioning depression. I personally know what it's like for everything to look great on the outside, yet for what's going on in your head to overpower all sense of logic and thought. Now, I have never been in the position to where it has been to the extreme of the thoughts of what Fred went through, but I do know what it's like to get up and go out and go to work and go around your loved ones daily and act like everything's great outside, but on the inside being so broken that just the thought of getting out of bed was a chore for you. I'm so glad that the conversation of mental health has become a topic, but no matter how loud the stats are given or how many posts or news stories are about it, there will always be those who suffer in silence, especially in the minority community. I'm not saying that Fred's issues were 100% because of anything dealing with mental health, but I do think it would be ignorant of us to ignore them completely in this case, regardless of which side of the fence you stand on. This podcast is something that I decided to do for me, by me. I wanted to add something to a space that I love so much that I felt was severely lacking representation. I don't care if this podcast is listened to by 10 people or 1000 people. I will continue to make sure that as long as I'm the one speaking on this mic, I will highlight not only the crime portion of these stories, but the mind portion as well. Recognizing that a world where we're seen as second class or less than in so many different ways, but yet we're also expected to rise to the occasion and show up at all times. I love true crime, not because of the stories behind it, but because of the mind and the thought process within these stories. And there's no way that I could tell these stories without mentioning the mental aspects of them as well. If you've listened to some of the previous episodes, you've heard me mention wanting to do a segment called It Takes a Village. I truly believe that if we come together, we can form the new majority in true crime and make sure that it is inclusive of all. I truly want to do that, but instead of doing the random life stories that I had mentioned before, I'd rather do something that's more meaningful. Once a month, I will add It Takes a Village to the end of the episodes. 
This could be anything from a short true crime story or just about mental health stats and statistics that are catered to minorities. Something to show that no matter the color, race, religion, we're all going through it. If I can get up here and tell these stories and share the experiences of those who have already gone through it, maybe, just maybe, we can help at least one person. Let this village be your village. We come from all walks of life and all corners of the world, but mental health knows no boundaries, so neither will we. If you have any suggestions on stories or topics for our It Takes a Village segment, please hit me up in the DMs on Instagram at Season Crime, or you can email SeasonCrime at gmail.com. Thanks again, everyone, for hanging out with me, and I'll talk to you guys again next week. <laughs>